Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 8. So let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a content creator, developer, project manager, and a certified Contentful professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about Vue.js with my guest, Robert Mion, a designer, writer, coder, and Vue.js expert who teaches web development in virtual one-on-one sessions. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Why don't we start out by you giving us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I have a degree in visual communications, fine arts. I studied illustration, color theory, and storytelling in college. Then I worked as a graphic designer after college, then a web designer. And today, I guess I consider myself a user experience designer and front-end quasi-full-stack developer. I learned HTML and CSS after being fired from a graphic design job. The first book I read was, oh, it's an old one now, but a goodie, called Head First HTML and CSS with XHTML. So long ago now, it seems. The next job I had was at a small agency. A few clients needed websites built, and I volunteered to build them as a way to practice what I learned. And from there, I just kept learning, designing, building websites, and more recently, web applications. So what attracted you to the front end versus, let's say, back end? Is it because of your graphical background that was the main focus for you? That was mostly the main focus. With front end, I mean, HTML, you write a little bit in one file. You load it in a browser and you can so easily see the results. And I'm, I'm still to this day intimidated by things like databases and servers. So front end was definitely the calling, the next step from print to online. Now, you also started a website called front-end.coach. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. So nine months ago, I had my first child, son. And during paternity leave, I wanted to continue, you know, what was I going to do during his naps? And I've learned a lot of front end since maybe 10 years ago, I wanted to help out others. So I figured I'd try to start my own little tiny business as a side project, uh, tutoring, because I think tutoring is lacking in the front end space. Like a personal trainer for people working out, you should have that for getting better at coding. So started that, I had two students, it was going really well, and it still is, it's, it's out there, feel free to join the waiting list, and I'm happy to teach anybody anything, whether it is something core to CSS, HTML, JavaScript, or you just need a code review or you want to do some pair of programming, that's what I'm there for. That's awesome. Are these like Zoom or some sort of video conferencing app like that? Yes, I mostly use Zoom. And the whole point is we're always looking at the other person's screen. And if anything, I'm helping kind of direct them. But it's never looking at me. It's always them hands-on coding because that's the best way. Yeah, definitely. So today we're obviously going to talk about Vue.js. So why don't we start with what is Vue.js? Vue.js is, as the website would claim, a progressive JavaScript framework. <laughs> that sounds kind of like political thing, like progressive versus conservative, right? <laughs> exactly. So a layman, what is Vue.js? It is a much better and easier way to not have to mess with the DOM and build reactive real-time dynamic web applications 
without using jQuery. So if you're used to jQuery, it's a great next step and it will feel like a weight has been lifted from you. If you don't know what jQuery is, that's okay. If you are intimidated by React or Angular, Vue is the way to go. So before we jump into why Vue over, let's say, React, first of all, what attracted you to Vue? What attracted me was, in comparison to the others, I was delighted by how easy Vue helped me understand the core tenets of the model view controller paradigm. Do you want to expand a little bit on that? Explain for those that are not familiar with the model view controller paradigm. So this notion of, I guess, think like your home entertainment system, the model is the DVD that is playing the movie ultimately and holds all of the characters and the richness. The literal remote control is the controller. You interact with that in order to bring stuff from the DVD onto the screen. And the screen is the view. It's what you're seeing after you control the model and based on the view, what you're seeing. So it's a good analogy, but ultimately in an application, the model is usually a database of some kind. It stores your state. The view is often the HTML, the user interface you're seeing on the screen, and the controllers are all the different little functions that are happening connecting the view to the model. And view made it so crystal clear interacting with that via Vue's very rich and simple APIs compared to others especially. So I tried many times before getting my head around that paradigm. And Vue was the first to really kind of make it click. I think that was a great analogy. And the importance, of course, is that you're separating your content from your look and feel from your business logic, right? So that's your model view controller. Yeah, definitely. So for people just jumping into Vue, what's the minimum knowledge that they need to have? So let's say you're a developer that has no experience with any framework, what kind of experience do you need for that? And then let's say you're a different developer coming from, let's say, React. What experience do you need to be able to jump in and start learning? Sure. So if you're coming from the one end of never used a framework before, the only barrier is understanding fundamental JavaScript concepts. So you you know how to work with things like arrays, objects, and functions at a bit more than just a basic understanding, like, oh, I can push to an array, I can pop it off and maybe access an index. You need a little bit more than that, but not super deep, because mostly what you're doing in any application is working with lists or objects and transforming them in some way. So never work with a framework. That's the barrier. Work with a ton of frameworks and you want to kind of get started with Vue. Uh, it'll probably be easier than most of them, again, given it was built by a designer. And I think the wonderfulness of that is most designers understand problems very well and attempt to solve them in a way that is accessible to others and not just themselves. So you'll probably find it easier, all of the APIs. Um, the ecosystem is just as rich as most other frameworks. But ultimately, if you've messed with the other ones, you should have no trouble messing with Vue. So let's talk about Vue over React, right? Which are the two most popular ones, I would assume right now. Why choose Vue over React? Or do you have to? You definitely don't have to. You can probably even use both of them in the same application. I don't know if you'd want to, but you might. I would lean towards, again, the person who's never used a framework. Why would I learn Vue versus React first? And my answer is because Vue is the only one that scales down gracefully. So again, with jQuery as the analogy, with Vue, if all you want to do is kind of, you have a little component or a list in some sort of app you're building, and you just want to make it easier to call an API and get some items into that list. Well, Vue is... You just put a script in your page and a few lines of code in your existing JavaScript kind of architecture 
and it's good to go. So it can be as little as a library and it can scale up to as big as what feels like a framework. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because actually what I want to ask is you have frameworks and you have libraries. And it seems that really Vue is both. So first of all, before we say either yes or no, can you explain the difference between a library and a framework and then which one is Vue? Sure. A library is often little bits of helper code. So I need help maybe formatting a date or I need help getting this one small thing to work. I need a library for that. A framework is I'm about to build something potentially massive and I'd really like this one cohesive ecosystem to help me figure out how to build that thing and paradigms to work within that are proven and tested so I feel way more comfortable that the thing that I'm going to build is, is sturdy enough. And again, Vue is both because at its smallest size, you include it as a script on your page and if all you want to do is kind of turn one of your divs that has lists in it into a view component, it's super simple and you get all of Vue's very easy API richness to use. If you want to build a much larger scale app, Vue has a whole command line interface, build tool, state management systems, which we'll talk about soon, that is there to help you build by first party, the, the core team and other contributors. So you should not feel afraid at all to use it at its most widely available, its biggest. So it sounds like it's flexible enough for you to just do a quick thing and use it as a library, or you're really architecting that project prior to coding, you can use it as a full framework. That's right. It can enter your development project at any stage of the lifecycle, which I think is one of the reasons why it's boomed so much, is because with Angular or React, for the most part, if you didn't start with it, you're either stuck on it or you're never going to use it. But if you're a, like a back-end developer who has been tasked with a front-end project and you're afraid and you're like, what do I use? Vue might be your go-to to say, you know what, I just want to kind of dabble in this and help me out. It looks like the only one that can do that is Vue. I see. So we've given Vue a lot of love. Let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges. What are some challenges or perhaps some things you would like to see improved in Vue? Interesting question. What would I like to see improved? I guess learning curve for going from using it small scale to using it big scale. But I do also feel that the tutorials and documentation around that, I haven't read yet to know how accessible that stuff is. Unfortunately, I don't think I have a great answer for this question. Not saying Vue is perfect, but I don't know if I've used it at the scale yet to know what could be better about it. I know a lot is coming in version three that from what I've seen on videos on a site that we'll mention soon, called Vue Mastery, there's some really great stuff coming to make components talk together more and make it easier to separate concerns a different way. But yeah, honestly, I can't answer that as well as I probably should. Sure. No, that's good. I mean, it sounds like having better documentation would be a good thing or easier to discover all the power of it. Sure. That's probably every framework, honestly. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of documentation and resources, what are some of the good places, and you just mentioned one, we'll have you repeat it again, for resources in Vue. Also, I know you've watched, and I've watched the same, there's a documentary, which is done by one company that does documentaries on all coding stuff. Uh, they did one on GraphQL. I forgot the name of it, but I'm sure you know it and you'll mention it. But mention some of the resources available for people that want to get started. Sure. So for Vue, the best resource is the website. So viewjs.org. And there's a small pull-down tab for learn and then guide. And that guide is truly incomparable, priceless in how it's written. I started there and it really builds up from zero knowledge. So I, I truly love that guide. For very small, fun projects, which we'll mention soon, 
but my website, I built a Google dictionary widget using Vue, and I wrote an extremely comprehensive article kind of walking completely through it. So not shameless plug, but I've written a few tutorials, iOS calculator and Google dictionary, multiple parts that kind of take you from zero to at least a small thing real world built. So viewjs.org, my website or my medium, at Armion. And then beyond that, there are some wonderful kind of quasi first party sites. So View Mastery is fairly well connected to it. I mean, they link to each other. It's a bunch of videos from the gentleman who used to run codeschool.com. So View Mastery is great. There's a gigantic GitHub repository. If you Google View Awesome, it should be the first thing that comes up. And it is just a slew of links to everything, books, articles, videos, real world projects, giant companies using Vue. It's fantastic for just a true kitchen sink. And yeah, those are the big ones that I know. There's Vue School, and there's tons of other stuff, but those are definitely the first best places to go. Excellent. And we'll go ahead and link all that to the show notes. So thanks for sharing those. So let's jump into the actual details of Vue so people are able to learn more about the actual details themselves. So you mentioned before already the virtual DOM Explain what the virtual DOM is in comparison to the regular DOM. And for those that are not familiar, the DOM is the document object model, right? So explain the difference between the virtual and the real one. Sure. So the real DOM, the real document object model, lives in the browser. It is a tree node-like object that is the browser's representation of the HTML that you have written. So you wrote an HTML page, maybe there's some CSS and JavaScript to it. The browser then interpreted that, created a whole tree of nodes with the head, the body, all your divs, all your headings, all your paragraphs, and it created this model of objects that are on this big object called the document. So that's great. That's in the browser at all times. The virtual DOM is a, a recreation of, the, of that DOM saved in memory. It's like a snapshot. And anytime anything changes in the interface... The framework of choice, so React and Vue both use a virtual DOM. They're going to look at the virtual DOM, and they're going to look at the real DOM. They're going to do what's called a diff and compare each other. And only the things that have changed, wherever those live within your component architecture, only those components are going to re-render. So this notion of having a virtual DOM makes things a lot more performant because every time something changes, whether you've typed something in a text field or really changed a checkbox or touched a color or hovered over anything, those are all events. They're always firing. And when those changes are detected, it's really wonderful that only that little thing is going to re-render on the page and not the entire page because that could be a nightmare, could really feel slow. And that's what makes most of these new applications feel really, really nice. And that is really important, right, if you're doing this for, let's say, a mobile device, correct? Sure. I mean, really anything. Think of all the different areas where there's lists of possibly hundreds of thousands of items. And if you're doing one little thing on any of them, you really only want the one little part that you're touching to update right now. Yeah, definitely. So explain to us the life cycle of an view app, like from instantiation all the way to rendering. Sure, I'll give you, a, I guess, a quick glimpse, and there's a much better diagram and explanation on Vue.js.org. But the very brief snippet is each view instance, and that is anytime you say new view, parentheses, object, blah, 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 each one of those goes through a series of like of steps when it's created. So for example, it needs to 
set up things like data observation and compiling a template and what's called mounting to the DOM and updating the DOM when data changes. So all these things that happen as the component renders and then getting everything established. That's truly the life cycle. And there's things like before you create it, when it's updated on destroyed, there's a whole bunch of hooks that are just functions that you can tap into to say, hey, view, I want this to happen during this phase of the life cycle for this component anytime that it is instantiated. I see. That makes a lot of sense. So that means, that, like you said, you can hook into any of those points and have the app do certain things, like initialize certain views and how they should look prior to rendering, right? Precisely. Like One good example is if your component depends on some sort of API call, then in this thing that you pass to the view instance, there's both a created and a mounted function that you can tap into. And in each of those, you could put some sort of Ajax call or a fetch API to go off and get some data, call contentful, for instance, and kind of bring in the content. And while it's waiting, you could have something in your app that says loading content. And then when it's done, all you're doing is updating little pieces of the data with your quote-unquote hydrating your app with a bunch of good data. And once it has it, it'll re-render and your data will be there. But you can only do that by hooking into these lifecycle hooks for the most part that are early when the component is mounted. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, there's this concept of one-way data flow, since we're talking about data, uh, one-way data flow and two-way data binding. Can you explain what each of those are and the differences? Yeah, so one-way data flow is when data goes from point A to point B and not back. So an example is you give your app a name or a title that you want to appear in your interface. So if you're building Google's dictionary widget, you might have a little piece in your data. The property is called title. The value is called dictionary. And you want to display that name as the heading on your page. So you might use the, in view, it's like the double curly bracket or commonly referred to as mustache syntax in your HTML. And that's going to grab the title from your data model. So the data model is point A. And it's going to display it on the page, and that's point B. And that's the direction that data traveled was from the JavaScript to the HTML, and that is one-way data flow. And then two-way is when data goes from point A to point B and back, most often continually. So an example of that is when a user enters their name in a text field. You want to display their name somewhere else on the page, for instance. So you want to update it in both places as the user enters or deletes characters. View needs to both save what's been entered and immediately send back what it's just saved so the page shows the latest value. And it all happens so fast, so it feels instant and boring, but if it didn't have this two-way binding, then you'd be kind of in the jQuery world of you need to select the text field, and you need to select the paragraph as two different things that you've saved in memory, and when one changes, you're updating the other. And when the other changes, you're updating the first one. And it's kind of this annoying thing, whereas with Vue, we'll talk about directives soon, but it's kind of a very simple little bit of HTML that's calling a JavaScript function. And it, it feels almost kind of not pointless, but so small and insignificant that you'll wonder, 
why was I ever doing this the hard way before? Yeah, I was going to ask that to see if that was more automatic or if you had to do a lot of code, but it sounds like it's pretty simple. I mean, I remember the old days, and I really mean old days. When I first started in web development in the late 90s to early 2000, and back then, you know, everything you had to pass around and you had to, you know, grab the value and remember to set it in all the places you wanted to set it and reload everything. It sounds here that you're binding it and then automatically everything that's binded to that value will automatically update. Precisely. And you're mostly describing the benefits of Views reactivity system, which I think we'll get to soon. Right. Yeah, definitely. Let's jump into that. What is reactivity? Sure. So I'm not going to describe it nearly as well as the guy does. So same thing with the lifecycle. Anyone here listening to this, I encourage you to go to Views website and look up reactivity in depth. Great article. The nutshell is each of the properties that you add to this very important data object that you pass to view when you instantiate it. Each of those properties that you set and can have your name, whatever you want, they get converted to what in JavaScript are called getters and setters. These getters and setters let view track things like dependencies. So what component depends on another component, what data depends on this data, and those getters and setters notify components of any changes when they occur. So there's this whole ecosystem talking to each other, like air traffic controllers deep under the scenes. And the second part here that's most important is that each component instance, which is just whatever you say new view or new dot component, that's a component instance. Each one of those has a corresponding watcher instance. And the watcher, it's recording important trigger events. And whenever those events are triggered, the setters notify the watcher, which causes components to re-render. So it's complicated, it's magical, but especially with view, it's learnable, configurable, even for novice programmers. So it's, it's all really kind of wonderful, crazy, deep, hardcore JavaScript stuff under the scenes. But as you kind of just mentioned and I mentioned, you don't have to think too much about it. It all just kind of quote unquote works. That's awesome. Yeah, that definitely makes life a lot easier, especially since most apps today are dynamic, right? Data driven. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of data, can you use GraphQL with Vue and what's the integration on that? Absolutely. I haven't tried too much with it. I'm sure that it's much easier and more possible with the command line interface and setting that up. The good news is, again, another kind of plug here, but I've had this represented from this company on my meetup before. So there's a company called Hasura that has a very comprehensive tutorial. I think they have a two-hour read time. Actually, we're going to do a webinar in two months with them showing how to use GraphQL, Node, and their tool as well. So, yep, yep. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a tutorial on building a GraphQL using Vue and Apollo. So I, they're great. I encourage it, but absolutely, Vue works with GraphQL, and there are plenty of ways to do all sorts of kind of HTTP requests with Vue. What about working with REST and other APIs? Sure. So Vue has an official kind of third-party NPM package, Node Package Manager. It's called Vue-Resource, and it extends or globs onto the Vue instance a very handy, easy shorthand for making API calls. But if you don't want to use that, you can certainly use built-in things to the web browser like the Fetch API or Probably the most popular one called Axios makes API calls really easy. So you can use whatever you want. And again, you'll likely use them in small functions that are methods of the object that you pass to view. And you're usually calling them 
in other functions or especially that created and mounted that I referred to earlier. So tons of support. Now you mentioned components before. Can you explain what are really components and how does data flow between them in Vue itself? Sure. So components are hopefully small, reusable pieces of code. So if you've got a to-do list, your component should be like the item that has a checkbox and can be crossed off or not. The little area for typing in user input, the button. There's a, a larger parent component that comprises those two components. So components can go pretty deep like Russian nesting dolls. Data flows between them two ways, but it's really only ever kind of passed down into children. And then the way to get it back up is through emitting events in the children that each of the parents are listening for. And that whole flow is most often the reason why things like VUX, which we'll get to soon, exist because imagine having really, really nested components way separate from each other and a grandchild of one needing to pass data to a grandchild of another one. That's a lot of emitting of events, listening to them, passing data, really kind of annoying and not fun. And I guess it'd be nicer to have them have that whole logic stuff saved somewhere else. So passing data is certainly possible, but it comes in the form of data on an object, events on the children, and what's called props, which is a very shared term amongst React and Vue that live on the children, their containers for data being passed in. Now, does a child component need to know of its parent or can the component just emit information and have any parent component that it's embedded in capture it? Or does a parent-child relationship is very strict and they need to know each other? Ultimately, props are the way to kind of tell one about the other, parents and children. And you have the control to describe in each of those props, whether it's like required or what type it needs to be. But for kind of, I guess, passing in data and content, I think that gets a little bit into slots, which we'll talk about soon, for is it expecting it or is it not expecting it? And can you put some default in there or not? And then kind of the relationship of is it expecting a child or not? It is flexible from what I can tell. And ultimately, you, you kind of write your own rules and Vue gives you a very cohesive rule book to follow. So since you just mentioned slots, why don't we touch on slots and what is a slot and then what's the difference between a, a slot and a scope slot? So a slot is think of it as a place that you define in a child component that is expecting to be filled from the parent component. So if you're expecting like a first name or a last name and a child component, you put what looks like an HTML tag called slot in your child component. And then in the parent component, between the name tags that you've given the child component, you can put like text or a bunch of tags if you want to. And all that will just, it'll replace what was in slot in the child. Your child is expecting content from the parent and a scope slot solves the problem of sometimes it's useful for slot content to have access to data only available in the child component. So when it comes to like passing data between the two, specifically in the context of a slot, not so much props, but just the slot, scoping a slot lets you pass in an object and refer to properties of that object in the parent so that the child knows how to deal with them. So it's a type of slot that enables passing data from parent to a child via the slot. Almost like a tunnel. Pretty much, yeah. 
Very cool. So let's jump into Vuex or Vuex. How is that pronounced? I honestly don't know. I call it Vuex. Yeah, it sounds like Vuex. It sounds like Vue and then X. Yeah. All right. So now we figured out the name. So that's one good step forward. So tell us what is Vuex? Vuex. So it's a sophisticated way and sophisticated is a loaded term, but it's a way to help you manage a very large application's state. So without it, you have to abide by the rule that I mentioned earlier. So data is transferred from one grandchild or subcomponent to a different parent subcomponent. You have to emit events from the subcomponent, pass data all the way up, and then use props to pass it all the way down. Kind of annoying, a pain to manage. With something like Vuex, state is stored completely outside of any components, but still in a sort of view-like instance object. And the way that it's changed is still through events, but the events are are almost treated like, if you're familiar with Git, you commit things that are called mutations. So there's a store, it has state in it. The only way to change that state is to mutate the data through the committing of events. So if you want to push something onto an array, then from the component, you have to commit an event with the data that you want to push. And then Vuex will know to listen for that and it will go to one of its methods that is an action and it will call the action and inside that action, it will actually mutate the store. So it's several levels removed in a sense, but that kind of externalization of the store means that any of your components from anywhere can merely try to commit something to the store and the store handles it. There's no passing around of data anymore. So it relieves the nightmare. It's kind of a different nightmare when you're just getting started with it. But once you learn it and once you adopt its rules and paradigms, life is usually much better, especially all of the wonderful dev tools there are for, you know, kind of walking through the timeline of your application, tracking bugs, tracking errors, all this committing makes it just as easy as wonderful as using Git in terms of, okay, what, What's an old state that we were in? Let's go back to it. Let's inspect it. It it gives you all that wonderfulness. Does that imply that we can use this store to set the state of the same app, but on the mobile device or where they left off on the website? Yeah, as long as you're committing all this to a database somewhere, they can certainly probably hydrate and populate from it. Vuex is mostly in once you've loaded the app, how does it save and store the state kind of in that session? I guess you would just use either GraphQL or sort of API calls to get whatever data has been saved and pushed to it through Vuex actions. Got it. So just to have a couple of more questions, you've been sharing some great information here. What are mixins? Sounds like a networking opportunity for people. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. There are ways for two or more components to share the same little bit of functionality. You have two different components, maybe they're vastly different, but you want both of them to be able to maybe greet you. So a function called hello, and it should console.log hello world. It'd be nice if you didn't have to write those two exact same functions in each component. Instead, you could write them kind of in an object that contains methods, and then view gives you a way through a property called mixins to specify what functionality you'd like to include into it. So you can separate the things that are similar and reuse them across multiple components. So it's almost like you're inheriting methods from other objects? In a sense, yes. It's exactly like JavaScript's core prototype. I don't like the word inheritance because that's not what it is. Per Kyle Simpson, it's objects linked to other objects. But in this case, yes, you are technically putting on each of those components 
this shared functionality. So yeah, you are technically inheriting, but there's an object and you're, you're saying, hey, go get a copy of that object and put it on this component. You just didn't have to write it twice. You only wrote it once. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now explain the concept of filters and directives. Sure. So filters first, they apply text formatting to your data. So if you've got a number, but you want it to be styled or look like a dollar amount, then you could queue up a filter in your view app, either at the component level or at the full root instance level, letting all components use it. You can define a function that ultimately just returns your data with dollar grammar applied to it. And then in your view component in the template, it's used by a pipe. So where you would just put your data, you can say, here's the data I want you to look at, pipe, and then the name of the filter, again, magically just kind of applies that to it. And the beauty of filters is they can be chained. So you can do multiple pipes to do multiple filters. So if you want to convert it to a dollar amount and then lob off the last so many decimal points because you only want to show two, you could do multiple things. And they're also just JavaScript functions. So you can call them with multiple arguments and each argument can be the filter that you want. So really extensible really configurable filters are pretty great. So I'm assuming that filters are built into view. Are you able to create your own filters and then use those throughout? Yes. The second one is actually, in a sense, all that you can do. I don't know if there are many or any filters built into view. It is mostly you create your own. I'm sure there are, let's go back to this, there are libraries probably of filters that you could download. But for the most part, you'll usually make your own. That's great about filters. So what about directives? What are those? Can you explain those? Yeah, the directives are functions that operate on JavaScript expressions. And the beauty of them is they don't look like functions. They look like HTML attributes. So it makes them a lot easier to use, understand, and learn. So for instance, the two-way binding that we referred to earlier. So you want to capture someone's name through a text field. So in your data, you might have a property called name, which its value is a string. So for me, I'm going to enter my name is Robert. In the beginning, it's an empty string. And in my HTML, I have an input field. And I'm going to add what looks like an attribute to it, but it's really a view-specified function that's going to run on what I put between the quote marks, again, like an attribute. So in this case, the directive is called model, and every view directive is prefixed with v dash. So what I would write is v dash model equals the double quotes, just like HTML attributes. And between the quotes, what I'm technically writing there is any valid JavaScript expression. And in this case, I would just write name, and it's going to know to go look in my data for name. And because the model is a two-way binding, it's both going to hook into whenever the input senses a change, it's going to write to the data. And whenever that change happens, that's more or less going to show and reveal that same data and bind to it again through model. So model is doing two things, but all directives are JavaScript functions that look wonderfully like HTML attributes. That seems pretty powerful, actually. Very powerful and very, very convenient. Yeah, definitely. Well, Robert, I feel like my brain is about to explode. You shared so much information. Seriously, I really appreciate that. I think you've helped a lot of people, including myself, understand Vue better. And actually, after I'm done with you, I'm going to actually go ahead and start playing with it and try to learn it myself. That's right here. Couldn't have asked for a better result. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Yeah, so number one place is I'm on LinkedIn. Find me. I write articles every day, usually in the morning. I'm also on Medium. So it's medium.com slash at 
R-M-I-O-N. I post tutorials on there every so often. Front-end.coach. If you're either new to the world of coding or just want to get better at it, or you feel like there's something that you don't quite know and want to learn, again, it's not really, it's hand-holding, but I'm going to be your drill sergeant. So join the waiting list. There are various communities that I'm part of. So there's Coding Coach. You can ask for my mentorship through that. There's Front End Mentor with a whole bunch of cool coding challenges that you can use view in. Both of those, I'm in the Slack community forum. And then, of course, there's just my website, and I encourage you to browse it, read some of the articles, which is rmeon or robertmeon.com. So, yeah, that's me. A lot of places. Thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers, everybody. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.